0: 2 John, we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 13. Tonight the title is, What Love Does Not Do. What Love Does Not Do. I'm going to go ahead and read verses 7 through 13 of 2 John. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that bids him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. Having many things to write unto you, I would not write with paper and ink, but I trust to come unto you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of thy elect, sister, greet thee. Amen. If you remember, the first half of this letter focused on the importance of truth and and love. In verses 7 through 13, they show us that balance. Uh, John would not have us believe as the world would have us believe that love involves compromising our our beliefs or approving of what God does not approve of. Uh, So we're going to consider a few things from these verses uh, tonight that love does not do. And the first thing I want you to see here in this text is love does not accept all religions as equally true. Look at verse 7. John tells us that many Deceivers are entered into this world. That word deceiver is a word that actually means wanderer. It describes a person that has drifted away, wandered away from the truth. Uh, The deceivers in John's day now, they had a particular doctrine that they were putting forth. Uh, I've mentioned this several times as we've studied John's epistles. They were teaching that Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. Remember, the Gnostic heresy would not allow the idea of the Incarnation. The Gnostic heresy believed that everything that was physical was evil. Everything that was spiritual was good. Therefore, when they heard that God had come in the flesh that God had taken upon Himself a body, they said that can't be true because that contradicts our philosophy. That contradicts Gnosticism. So they said that Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He just appeared to be in the flesh. He looked like a human being, but He wasn't actually a human being. That was the major uh, heresy that was going on during those days. Now John is pretty blunt about these folks. He says that these people are deceivers and that they are antichrist. So they're doctrine was not just some other way to understand Jesus. That that wasn't it at at, at all. It was a damning doctrine. It, It deceived people and it was in complete opposition to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so John says here, look, these are wanderers who have drifted from the truth. Now deceivers that John's talking about here will always attack the person of Christ. That's why it's vitally important when you're listening to someone teach that you find out what they believe about Jesus Himself. And to believe that Jesus is anything less than God in the flesh is to be a deceiver. It's to be an antichrist. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24, "...for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and they shall show great signs and wonders, in so much that if it were possible, they would even deceive the very elect." So to accept all religions as equally true would actually be to reject what Jesus said there as clear as day. Not only do you see this in the New Testament, and I'll give you some examples in a minute, but you see it in the Old Testament as well, this idea. Aaron and Moses, whenever they were confronting uh, the, the, the magicians in Pharaoh's court, they didn't say, well, this is just another way to understand God, did they? They said, no, they called these people out as, as, as false prophets. When you read the prophets, the prophets didn't say, well, those who worship Baal are just worshiping God in a different way. They didn't say that, did they? They said, no, those who worship Baal are idol worshipers and, and they're breaking the commandment of God. Of course, when you come to the New Testament, you see a whole lot of this. You see Jesus, I just mentioned Him in a verse that that He rebuked the false teachers of His day. When you read Paul, Paul rebuked the false teachers of His day. When you look at at, at John here, John rebuked the false teachers of His day. And we could go on and on. The point is, the Old Testament and the New Testament are filled with examples of people who were teaching a false idea of God and the true people of God, came against them and said, hey, this is not true. Anything that contradicts what Scripture clearly teaches about God should be regarded as false doctrine, false teaching. Now, let's look at verse 8. It's an interesting verse here. Look to yourselves that, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. So John says, hey, you need to be careful, Christians, about losing rewards. He says, look to yourselves. That word in the King James, it's look to yourself. Your translation might say, be careful. In other words, he's saying, watch out. Allowing false teaching in the name of tolerance can affect you even as a Christian. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 3.15 about losing rewards when you stand before the Lord. And when you refuse to reject or confront false teaching, that could cause you to lose a reward in heaven. Uh, Some people think that their tolerance of, of false religions is a result of the fruit of the Spirit. They say, well, the reason I tolerate these people is because I love these people. And love is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, So they believe that they're reacting in the way that Jesus would react. Uh, It's not that they believe the false teaching. They're not going to say they believe the false teaching, but they're saying, you know what, just leave them alone. Let them do their thing, and we'll do our thing, and everything could be okay. That's not the truth. That's not the way God wants us to respond to this. God has not called us to be passive. To simply allow people to teach false doctrine without us saying anything at all. He's called us to confront it, to confront it with the truth. So, not only has God called us not to accept all religions as equally true, He's also called us not to appear as if we have accepted all religions as equally true. Therefore, if you're passive in your understanding of false doctrine, it appears. Maybe you don't necessarily believe it's true, but it appears that you believe that it's true. So understand that it's not about just just saying, okay, uh, I'm just going to be passive here. No, 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 that's just as bad. So love does not accept all religions as equally true. Secondly, love does not embrace false doctrine. We see that in verse 9. Whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. Now in the previous verse, John tells us what happens if we ignore false teachings. Uh, he says you lose your warts. Here he tells us what happens if we embrace false teaching. You lose your soul. This verse here describes a person who's gone too far. They're no longer abiding in the doctrine of Christ. In other words, they've denied the fundamentals of the faith. You know, the false teachers, they, they add to Scripture. They add to the teachings of Christ. But the problem is, when they add to Scripture, they inevitably take away the truth. When you add to the truth, you have altered the truth. And you have made it untrue now, which was the big deal with what the Pharisees were doing in, in, in Jesus' day. Uh, now, when he says abide there, what does it mean? It means to continue in. It means you're settled in this doctrine. Uh, And so it's imperative for us as Christians that that we continue to believe the truth that's once been delivered unto us and our continuance in the truth reveals if we're true believers or not. And, And remember what John said in an earlier epistle. He said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us, but they went out from us that it might be made manifest that they were not of us. That's the same thing John's saying here. They abided not the doctrine of Christ. These are people who appeared to be saved. These are people who came to church for a while. But in the end, they adopted these false teachings, these false doctrines. And that proved that the truth was not abiding in them. Now, I've said this many times as we've dealt with John's epistle. That false teachers prey on church members. They prey on religious people. Uh, I've said before, if they knock on your door and you answer it and you say, I'm a Baptist, they don't care. They don't say, okay, see you later. Why? Because most of their converts come from Baptist churches or some church like a Baptist church. And a person who's just been saved, they will capitalize on the freshness of a newfound faith. They promise a person, oh, we've got deeper knowledge. Oh, we've got greater things for you. And if a person's not truly saved, they're really defenseless against these false teachers because they don't have the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. False converts will flock to these false teachers. And some of those that follow false teachers have bought into the lie that we shouldn't focus on doctrine at all. They say, oh, doctrine doesn't matter. But it says here, you've got to abide in doctrine. I say, you know, as long as a person believes in Christ, everything's okay. And and sometimes you'll say, oh, you're, you're just attacking this person. You're attacking this person. And this person may say, who's a false teacher? They may say, oh, yes, they're attacking me. And so they set themselves up as a martyr. Look at me, I'm a martyr. And, and there's this martyr mentality that a lot of false teachers have. Oh, woe is me. And then people begin to feel sorry for them and, 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 and perhaps that even leads, lends credibility to these people who are false teachers. But my dear friend, listen, some people are told they're wrong because they're wrong. Amen? No one's attacking them. They're simply saying, look, what you're teaching is absolutely false. And those that embrace false doctrine, sadly, often think they're doing so out of love. They think, well, this is a loving thing to do. Well, all doctrines don't come from God. Paul said in 1 Timothy that there are doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils, 1 Timothy 4.1. What does that mean? That means that there is religious ideas that are invented by demons and that are given to people. And when people believe these doctrines... It keeps them from saving faith in the true Christ. And so the idea that we should not allow doctrine to separate us from other people is absolutely unbiblical. Because to embrace particular doctrines, according to John, is to show that you do not abide in truth, which implies that to receive specific doctrines means that you have the truth. And so this idea of, I don't want to focus on doctrine. I want to tell you what, man. If you say, you know what, I don't want to focus on doctrine. That's like going to school and saying, I don't want to focus on math. I want to focus on reading. I don't want to focus on this. And it's just enough that I go to this school, isn't it? I don't have to know all that stuff. What would you say to that student? You say to that student, have you lost your mind? What are you coming here for? You're coming here. To learn truth, to learn things about numbers and history and all these things. And when we come to church, it's the same thing. We're not coming here just to say we came here. No, we're coming here to to hear the truth. And to abide in that truth and to stay in that truth. Now, I I will say that there are some doctrines that, that may be open for debate. Uh, in other words, there might be particular ideas specifically about the end times and things like that. This person may believe that, that the church is going to go through the tribulation. This person may believe that the church is not going to go uh, through the tribulation. This, church, this person may believe uh, in, in immersion, the true way of baptism. This other person may believe in sprinkling as the way of baptism. We're not talking about stuff like that, church, okay? We're not talking about things like that at, at all. We're talking about doctrines that contradict fundamental issues regarding who Jesus Christ is. And and when love is true in a person's heart, it will not embrace those false doctrines. It will not say, hey, it's okay to believe these things. It won't do that. Love does not accept all religions as equally true. And love does not embrace false doctrine. He's, he's pretty open with this. pretty, pretty tell, tells us pretty clearly that. Now look, let's look at the third thing here. Love doesn't embrace false teachers. Look at verse 10. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's feet. So John gives a very specific command here in verse 10. He says, don't receive false teachers into your home. Now, in John's day and in his culture, it was a very normal thing to invite people into your home. by the way, have you noticed how our culture has changed? Like used to, like everybody had everybody in their homes, and like now, like people don't have people in their homes anymore. Have you all noticed that? I don't know if it's because we don't clean our houses as much or something like that or, or what it is. Uh, But I can remember as a kid how it's changed even since I was a kid. But in John's culture, it was very common for you to have a person into your home. um, And not necessarily just for a meal, but maybe to stay a night or two. And when you read the Bible, even the Old Testament, the people of God were always known for their hospitality. Showing hospitality to a person who was traveling, uh, to a family member, whoever it might be. Um, now remember, even this was just a practical thing because there weren't as many motels in those days. And if you needed a place to stay, m- most likely you're going to have to stay with another person. And not only that, but if you had to travel a long distance, um, man, you didn't have cars. And it took a long time to travel a long distance. So it wasn't like, hey, you and I can just go to Macon and be back. This, uh, you know, the, the same day, or Warner Robbins or wherever, about the same day. Imagine in those days going to Warner Robins, and you're walking, or you're riding a donkey or something. I mean, it's going to take you a while. You're, it's going to take you days to do this, and so you've got to have somewhere to stay. And, and so travelers were often accepted into a person's home. And then there were preachers like Paul who because of his job as an evangelist, as a a missionary, traveled from city to city to preach the gospel, and he needed a place to stay. That's why he made tents, because he stayed in a tent a lot of times. Sometimes they might even stay with with a church member for an extended period of time. Well, it wasn't just teachers like Paul who did this. Some of them were false teachers. And these false teachers traveled, just like Paul did. And you know what Satan did? You read Acts, you'll see this. What Satan would do is, Satan would send false teachers after the missionaries would come. The missionaries would come into a place, and then would come the false teachers. Who do you think sent them? The devil sent them. The devil himself sent them. And so here you've got these false teachers who are following behind Paul when he goes into a city and well they need a place to stay too. And some of the believers in the church that John is addressing here were said, "Hey, you could stay with me." And they didn't realize that in doing that, they were actually enabling these false teachers. Because think about it, if a false teacher had no place to stay, what would he do? He move on. Right? As the false teacher moved on, he takes his false teaching with him. It's out of the area, and so the gospel can flourish, but as long as that false teacher is given shelter, as long as that false teacher is given food, as long as that false teacher is shown hospitality, then he can stay in that community and undo all the work that the faithful preachers of the gospel had already done. And Paul, I'm, I'm sorry, John sees this as a problem, and John says, "Hey, you, you shouldn't be doing this." Not not only that, on top of that. You're also given the idea that if you're a Christian and you got this man staying in your home and you're taking care of him, you're lending to the idea that that this man's message is credible. Other people are saying, well, that guy must be saying true. He's staying over at Sister So-and-So's house. John says here, "To, to allow the false teachers to stay in your home is to bid him Godspeed. Now, that's an odd word for us, but Godspeed was a greeting that was used by early Christians. Literally, the word means to rejoice. And that greeting, I greet you Godspeed, was a way simply to wish somebody happiness. And so in verse 11, John says, To wish false teachers Godspeed is to be a partaker of their evil deeds. As I mentioned already, you're giving the appearance of approval, you're lending credibility to these false teachers. And here's the thing, you should not want a false teacher to succeed. You hear me? Well, we want everybody to succeed. Why in the world would you want a false teacher to succeed, friend? If a false teacher succeeds in building their church, then what do they have? They bunch got a bunch of false converts. They've taken a lot of people away from the truth. And what happens when a false teacher fills the church up? What happens to him? Well, he's happy. And to bid him Godspeed is to, say, to essentially say, I hope you're happy. I hope you reach a lot of people. I hope you build you a big church with all your false doctrine. Now this may sound odd, especially to the woke culture that we live in today. But as a Christian, you should, want, you should not want any other religion to grow except true Christianity. Amen. You should not, and I know you, you have sound so smug, Pastor Kyle. Listen, do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life or not? Do you believe that no man comes to the Father by me or, or not? Jesus said the only way to be saved is through Him. Therefore, all of these people who are following these false teachers are not saved. You think about it, I'll use something extreme here that probably everybody would agree with in here. You know, like if, uh, if, if, if a Muslim group came here and they wanted um, to build a mosque, what would we all? Will we have a prayer meeting here and say, Oh, Lord God, I pray You bless the Muslims. I pray they fill that building up and have to start another one on the other side of town. Would we pray that? We would not pray that, would we? We may pray the opposite way. Amen? God, I pray that their business is so bad they have to shut down and move on to Macon or somewhere, right? Somewhere. Not double. Now, if the world heard you say something like that, they'd say, you're a cruel person. You're not a loving person. But they don't understand what true love is. That true love is, is, is desiring people to not be deceived, but to know Christ and to truly know Him. Um... Now, I've heard people say this, and they've read this verse, and I've had several people throughout my ministry ask me, they say, well, Pastor Kyle, like, does that mean that like, if uh, somebody knocks on my door, like a Muslim, I mean a Mormon knocks on my door, or a Jehovah's Witness knocks on my door, not to let them in? I think there is a case to be made that that does mean that, because I would say that most people, most church members, are not prepared to deal with the deceptive doctrines that these people have been trained in these people who come to your house and knock on your door they're not the average like Baptist person they know what they're talking about they got talking points and this has been drilled in their head for a lot of years they don't just send these people out and they might confuse you you hear me? and so I would say be very careful about ever letting somebody into your house like that now if they come to my house would I let them in? 100% you know why? because I'm going to have fun I'm going to have fun with them. Now, I don't think that, that this is teaching that you can't be friendly with a false teacher. Uh, why? Because you got to win them to the Lord, right? You want to win them to the Lord, but the point is you should never be helping them promote their message. And you should never allow anyone to think by your actions that you approve of their message. Therefore, false teachers should always be kept at a distance. We should love them, and we should hope they come to Christ. We should pray for them. We should witness to them. But we need to remember that there's a line we cannot cross. We should never give the impression that we agree with them or that we want them to succeed in their efforts, ever. You know, if, if for instance, if let's just say I, uh, there was a mosque started. Let's go back to that. There was a mosque started right here in Dublin. And there was some meeting in town with religious leaders. And I met the imam of the mosque. Uh, could I talk to him? sure I could talk to him. But if I ever started saying, Hey, you guys ought to, y'all ought to go over there to the mosque. That guy's a pretty nice guy. I've crossed the line now. I, I, I've shared this with you before, but it, it was such a it fits here so good. I'll, I'll share it again. But you know, I, I had a Muslim one time who I talked to on a regular basis about the Bible, and you know, as I told you all before, Muslims call us people of the book. That's what true Muslims call us because they have a a certain regard for scripture. They believe in the prophets. They believe in the Old Testament specifically. So they call us people of the book. Um, and uh, some branches of Muslims even believe that most Christians who are faithful will will go to heaven in, in some manner. Uh, but I had this Muslim, and, and and he was big time studying. He was older than me, and we, he would come, and we would talk and talk and talk. And finally one day he, he, he told me, he said, man, he said, i got one problem I, I want to talk to you about. It. And uh, I said, all right, whatever, you know. I know what I was going to say. And he said, there's one thing that bothers me. Every time I come over here, it bothers me. And I said, well, what is it? He said, you think I'm going to hell. And I said, well, yeah, I do. I told him, I said, I, I, I do think you're going to hell. And he said, that bothers me. And he wanted to get me to change my point of view, to say, well, man, you know, but but I couldn't do that. And if I had in any way changed my point of view and and made him feel like, well, perhaps there's a way he's going to heaven, then what have I done? I've bid him Godspeed. I've made him have the impression that he's okay. And I never, ever, ever want to cross that line where I give a false teacher the impression that I think they're safe. I can be friends with them, and I can talk to them, and I can love them. But I could never give that person the impression. could never reach out my hand and say brother to him. You hear me? I couldn't do it. Because what would that be? That would be deceptive on my part. And so it's not that we can't be friends. It's not that we can't love them. But we have to be very careful in the impression that we give people. Look at verse 12. Having many things to write unto you, I write not with paper and ink. But I trust to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Uh, John, you, you know, uh, you can tell he had a lot more to say. This is a quick letter, wasn't it? But it's interesting to me that he said, I want to do this face to face. You know, sometimes there's certain things you don't want to do in a text. Amen? Right? Or an email. Because when you write things... First of all, sarcasm never comes across in the right way in, in writing. Joking never comes across in the right way. And even sometimes something that you didn't mean to say at all, someone else reads it with a certain inflection. Why did you capitalize every word? You know, or, or something like that, you know. And uh, in John's day, it was the same thing. There are certain things you don't want to write a person. You're saying, we need to talk about this uh, face-to-face. Which, by the way, let me encourage you as a Christian to do that. Let me encourage you as a Christian to understand that there are times when you need to sit down with a person face-to-face and talk about a situation. Because there's more to communication than words. You have a face. You have inflection. You have a heart. That can even be heard through speech, don't you? And so John says, hey, i got stuff to say, but man, I can't write it down. I need to say it face to face. But notice John says that the result of his coming and teaching would be a fullness of joy. Remember, he told us in verse 4 that that his joy was the result of knowing that some of these people were walking in the truth. But then John had a sorrow too a sorrow that some of these people were being led astray by these false teachers. They weren't standing up for the truth like they should. They were bidding false teachers Godspeed. And correcting this error, John knew, would bring him joy. going would bring joy to him, not him only, but the church members too. And that's another thing to remember. False teaching robs us of joy. It robs us of joy. The truth gives joy. The truth always gives joy. And the more anchored you are in the truth, the more joy you'll have. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things have I spoken to you, that, you might, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Y'all, the truth of God's Word is what gives you joy. And when you leave God's Word, it brings sorrow. And so John says, you guys who are wandering away, you're not just wandering away from the truth, you're wandering away from joy. And I'm going to come and speak to you face to face and bring you back so your joy will be full. Verse 13. The children of thy elect sister greet thee. Amen. So he concludes it here uh, with, with greetings from the church that he was serving in. See, the children of thy elect sister. That's a metaphorical way to, to describe the church from which he was writing. Uh, the believers there didn't have to worry about finding a family among the false teachers. Because one of the reasons that a lot of people join cults, a lot of people join, follow false teaching and join false religions, is because they're looking for a place to belong. They're looking for that. They're looking for somebody who will love them. Somebody who will spend some time with them. And John says here, you don't have to worry about that. You've got sister churches that are sending you greetings. Churches that are abiding in the truth. And John's hope was that they would continue. That their focus should not be on loving these false teachers. Their focus should be on loving the bride of Christ. And they should beware of this false gospel. You know, truth and love can only exist together. If you divorce truth from love or divorce love from truth, you have neither. Truth and love are are, are one coin with two different sides. On one side is truth. On the other side is love. I mean, that's it. It's truth and love. Without love, there's no truth. Without truth, there's no love. It's truth and love. And He's saying, look, don't follow this false doctrine. Don't follow these false teachers. You have a family. It's the bride of Christ. Stay with her. You know, I tell you, when we... We can learn a lot, by the way, from some of these false teachers. Because I'll tell you what, there are some false teachers, there are some courts out there that when it comes to evangelism, they run us up one side and down the other. Amen? Don't they? They will witness. They will invite, won't they? And when a person comes, they'll do everything they can to keep them. And one of the reasons these courts and false teachers are so popular is because there are people out there who want to be loved, who want to be accepted, who want to know, hey, here's a place for me. You know, tonight we were out there, I was out there waiting because I knew a lot of the people didn't know where to come if they brought their kids. So I was standing out beside the mission center uh, waiting uh, in case uh, people were looking for what door to come in. And it was probably about five uh there was uh some people started walking across the uh, uh parking lot out there and um i tell you when i saw them you know in my heart i knew that uh i bet these were some people who were coming and uh the interesting thing is is they were kind of walking the opposite way so i said hey to them i said hey how are y'all doing um and then they said well we're looking for the kids thing that's ha- happening tonight and uh I said, well, praise God, you know, it's, it's right here. And uh, it was a, a man, and it was a woman, and it, it was two kids that I would say were probably in 5th and 6th grade. Two little white kids. And one the boys' name was um, Brandon, and the girl's name was Krista. And uh, I told the parents, I said, hey, I got them, don't worry about it. Just come up here, and the parents just took off walking the other direction, you know. And the kids came up there, and so I started talking to them, joking around with them. And uh, I tell you what, when I saw those kids, I thought in my heart, these kids are looking to belong somewhere. You hear me? They are looking. I could just tell by looking at them. So eager to talk to me when I asked them how they were and what their names were. You know what I mean? they just were searching for somebody to give them a little bit of attention and they reminded me of me they reminded me of the trailer parks i grew up in they really reminded me of myself as a kid with you know and i'm not trying to talk about parents or anything i'm just saying but it's odd when you don't even know me and you say okay and you turn around and you just walk away <laughs> you know you leave your kids with me i mean i could have been anybody you know i could have who knows who i could have been i was just standing out there by the road But my heart really broke for for Brandon and and for Kristen. I want to tell you, any of these false religions, any of these false teachers could grab kids like that and jerk them in, couldn't they? Quick, y'all. Easy. Why? Because at the end of the day, people are looking to belong somewhere. And we know where they belong. They belong with Christ. Amen? Suffer the little children to come unto Me and forbid them not, Jesus said. And so that's just a perfect illustration right there of what we can do as Christians to make sure that these people who are seeking a place to live can be greeted by the children of the elect sister, greeted by the church, loved by the church, embraced by the church, taught by the church, prayed for by the church. I've seen... I want to tell you what I've seen. I've seen... I've knocked on a door before. And... Half Hispanic, half, half half English family that that was there, and in this place that we lived, a lot of times I was looked down on. It was, it was wrong, and it was wrong, and it was wrong. But but those kids, I invited them. Hey, you want to come to church? I never knew, I never met the dad, but the dad was he was a drunk. And I went out there and knocked on that door. Them kids came. They said, yeah. They sent them to church. I took them to church three or four times. Pick them up on a bus, and then you know what? The mom said, hey, I'd like to come. And she started coming. And every night on Wednesday night, she'd say, pray for my husband. He'd get saved. He's drunk. He's mean. We started praying for him. His name was Martin. God saved Martin. God saved Martin. God saved Martin. Every Wednesday night. Kids were in the back. I was in there with the adults every Wednesday night. God saved Martin. God saved Martin. God God saved Martin. Carrie would always say, pray for my husband. Here he got saved and guess what? Probably six months. Well, Martin came to church and guess what happened to Martin? Martin got saved. And Martin became one of the most beloved people in that whole church which was all Anglo. He, he got a job with one of the business owners there in our church in Florida. Was the hardest worker this guy I'd ever known. He got, he got promoted to being the main manager over that place and then guess what happened? He started preaching the gospel. Amen. He turned into a preacher, y'all. Didn't that blow you away? And Martin's still one of my dear friends to this day. Love him. Love that brother. Love him, love him, love him. He was such a huge part of our Hispanic ministry. We started a Hispanic church. And he was such a huge part of that ministry, bringing, bringing his friends to church, sharing the gospel with them. And we had this integrated church that was ama- so amazing that the Florida Baptist Convention did stories on it and everything of how we were able to integrate this church, which was half Hispanic, half English. It was unbelievable to look out there on a Sunday. And when I would preach, I'll say this to you all, I know I'm rambling, but when I would preach in English, there'd be a Spanish interpreter beside me and he'd be preaching in Spanish. That got kind of crazy. So you know what we did then? We got these headphones. And so one of our guys, we built him a booth back there. And he sat back there in that booth. And he would, he would say my message in, 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 in Spanish and then nobody could hear it except the people who had the headphones on. And you say, why was that important? it was important because most of these people were trapped by Catholicism. But now they were being embraced by the truth and loved by the truth. That Spanish church is... Eventually it became a Spanish church and it's still going today. But the point is there were people out there in the church who said, you know what? We need to reach people so that they're not deceived by the false teachers in this world. And I hope and pray that God does that through Jefferson Street. Don't you? I'm sorry for Emily. It's no, it's been a tough day for me. It ain't always easy for a preacher. Amen? And I always want to be real with you. Amen? I'm never going to be fake with you. I'm always going to be real with you. And it's been a tough day for me. So you pray for me. And you pray for this church. That God will do great things. We love You, Lord. We praise You. And we thank You for Jesus and all He means to us. Help us, Lord, to be loving and kind, but never to do so by forsaking the truth. And as we love the truth and as we love people, may we see salvation and see Your church built up. In Jesus' name, Amen.